Hey, listen, guys, it's a real life Peter Griffin here on a freaking awesome podcast. Freaking sweet. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> let's kill that bass head. Alright, let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe. Hi everybody, welcome back to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. Our next guest has written the comedy for the likes of Steve Martin, Tina Fey, John Cleese, Craig Ferguson, Seth Rogen, Kevin Hart, and many, many more. For episode eight, we have on our show today our special guest, George Reinblad. George, how are you doing today? I'm good, how about you guys? Uh, wonderful. Uh, I'm doing a lot better than Matt is. Matt today, of course, uh, is uh, battling the sickness and has lost his voice and sounds like a prepubescent teenager. Um, Tony says I'm a big boy. <laughs> but um, he's going to try to muscle through the show nonetheless. Uh, George, so uh, what we got today is we're going to go through a little bit of uh, the lighter side of the news and some of the funny things that we've come across. Uh, Matt is going to attempt to start this off. I can do this. Ready? I don't believe in you. All right. Big boy voice. All right. We'll start with cops arrest man who tried to use fake McLovin ID at the bar. So first one, an Iowa man reportedly was prepared to be screwed by the long arm of the law when he tried to use his fake ID with McLovin made famous by the movie Superbad while at a bar. Cops say that they asked the underage drinker for his uh, ID and uh, which he said he didn't have one. After uh, after this person opened his wallet, officer spotted the fake I- the fake Hawaii ID with the name McLovin, date of birth six o three nineteen eighty one. Burleson told cops uh, he purchased the fake ID from Amazon. The man uh, then produced his real ID, showing that he was under the legal drinking age of twenty one. Burleson was charged with public intoxication, possession of a fake ID, possession of alcohol while underage, and being in a bar after ten p.m. <laughs> you know, like I, I feel like if you're going to get busted, regardless, if you're going to pass your off your ID that is under the age of 21, you might as well just pass off the make love the McLovin <laughs> ID, right? <laughs> I mean, if you're if unless he was just afraid of losing it, and he was going to try it again. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I, I, my my like thought when I first read it is like, who who types in fake ID into Amazon? <laughs> like like of all the places that I would go looking. That would not be the place that I type it in. Wow. I don't know. I wonder if they actually have it for, like, regional areas. Yeah. I'm going to get some scotch tape, um, (laughs) some dish soap, and uh, fake ID. Prime. (laughs) Problem is, he he made himself out to be 38. Like, if he's, like, 19 (laughs) or something, that's not going to fly. Yeah. (laughs) The minute I heard this, I'm like, did he use – because that movie's, like, 15 years old. Is he still using (laughs) – one from the movie didn't even change it. That's... Nope. <laughs> I would also love to be in jail and have a guy walk in and go, "What are you in for? <laughs> Being in a bar past 10 p.m. <laughs> That's like the worst crime Quick. you can commit this town, wherever they are. Quick, rape him. You know, that was a lot. <laughs> I use the fake name McLovin. Now we're gonna McLovin you. <laughs> uh, oh damn. 
All right. Uh, so I, I got a news article. When I when I read this, I was kind of curious. Then I laughed. Then I thought maybe afterwards it might be a little bit sad. But I, I figured we'll, we're going to do it anyways. Um, so the uh, that's how my wife my wife does when we make love. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's love life summed up right there. <laughs> then we both cry afterwards. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Um, so the article read, North Carolina assisted living facility workers accused of running a dementia resident fight club. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, in Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina, three employees at the assisted uh, living facility were arrested for basically a- attempting a fight club with their demented residents. They were egging them on and trying to get basically a 70-year-old and a 73-year-old uh, to start fighting um, while jeering them, you could hear on the actual video, because they were stupid enough to actually video the whole thing. And you can hear, obviously, the residents like asking for help and all this stuff, but they, they basically got these people off their meds and started trying to get them to, to beat each other down. Oh, my God. That's so and, terrible. And, you know, we always joke about fight clubs or, or you know, like, I always thought it'd be funny, like, if they started a nursery fight club with babies. But yeah. someone actually did it with the elderly. And I, I was just like, I could see a lot of visuals of, of humor in that. But at the same time, I, then I felt really sad and bad about bringing it up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Really, the most shocking part about that is it wasn't in Florida. I just assumed <laughs> when you told me that. Florida. <laughs> And then you said North Carolina, so that's really... George, it's, it's so funny that you say that because in in every one of our episodes almost... Today. Uh, to date, now. to date, um, some fucked up news has come out of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were actually thinking we had to start a Florida section for the weird shit we find weekly, and I was actually really surprised not to find a Florida article this week. <laughs> They're clearly calming down this week. Well, at least we got an honorable mention. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Matt, back to you. All righty. So my next one is, uh, it's really funny, actually. This one made me giggle. Um, so the headline reads, man allegedly threatened farmers who denied him livestock love. So a New Jersey man uh, was hankering for furry creatures behind uh, <laughs> behind oh bars. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had to clip the, the actual wording because it, it was too good. Um, and uh, was accused of threatening farmers who denied him from making his moves on the barnyard animals. Uh, moves. I, I like how you hit that accent <laughs> <laughs> moves. <laughs> um, according to the New Jersey Herald, 31-year-old Richard Decker allegedly sent messages to farmers in horse stables in Sussex County, New Jersey, uh, inquiring if he could have sexual relationships with their barnyard animals, uh, specifically cows and horses. Uh, after being denied some animal loving, Decker reportedly began harassing the farmers, sending them threatening messages and leaving homemade metal spikes in their driveways to deflate their tire on their vehicles. Uh, Decker was arrested on uh, October 3rd. They searched the man's house. Cows found a homemade 22 caliber firearm arrows with explosives attached to them, and flash powder, along with spikes similar to those found on the farms. He's facing 22 indictable offenses. Uh, Deckard was um, ordered held no bail pending a trial in November. What the fuck? Wow. <laughs> I, I think like, I'm just speechless with my mouth hanging open. <laughs> no, yeah, like, okay, it's funny. It's funny. Um, a story to begin with because yeah. it's so weird. Um, 
But then, like, what got me was, like, the arrows with explosives attached to them. Yeah. That's like, a, it's just like, okay. Straight so... out of a fucking Far Cry game. Like, <laughs> the craziest thing about this is, like, it's not like he broke in and did it. He was just asking permission. <laughs> yeah. He was outraged that his formal attempts to ask permission yeah. from us. <laughs> Like, he has all these weaponry. He should have held these guys hostage. And everything's like, no, I sent numerous letters. And you guys still said no? I mean, with this much firepower, like, this guy could have held them hostage and forced them to watch. Yeah, yeah. That's that's wrong on so many levels. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, dude, I would have just faked it. I would have been like, hey, can I feed your horse some hay <laughs> and this boner? <laughs> <laughs> but then left that last part out. <laughs> Just can I have a few moments alone with the horse while I feed it? <laughs> Jeez, that's messed up. Okay, um, so uh, to to further in that animal end of the news, um, I did find a an article that was uh, it's kind of like a homegrown one. This is in from uh, Victoria, BC. Uh, the urban deer get birth control to curb overpopulation. Oh. Yeah, so on the southern tip of Vancouver Island, apparently there is a, a massive amount of deer that are kind of going wild, and, and um, I guess the population has gotten so large that uh, they now have to try to control it. But the people around there are so anti-hunting them uh, that they basically asked the province for, for help on a more humane way of controlling them. So... They have looked into and have created um, birth control for for these animals. Um, it, it doesn't actually state in the article how they plan on administering this birth control. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and I, I kind of felt like, if anything, that would be the most important part of this. Um, but they were they were kind of more worried about would this actually work long term, and. Um, they said trying to estimate the, the number uh, uh, wouldn't be easy about how it would go down, but they would imagine like it would drop in the hundreds over like the next few years if if it was actually found. Interesting. I bet you they would use salt licks because I know a little bit just from my hunting days and deers love salt licks. Um, uh, I don't so know. I bet like, you they'd put the specially formulated salt lick bl- block that – which stops like any other animal to walking Dude, up. Why are, we, why are we doing this podcast? Let's become cougar breeders <laughs> right. and then move to BC. <laughs> Just the natural circle of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can take out a few hundred deer with a pair of cougars. Yeah, yeah. So that that was that was an interesting little tidbit. I was just like, wow, what are the odds of two animal news? Both about breeding, but not from the same species. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the guy from the last story should just move over there and be <laughs> Nobody to stop him. Uh, oh, <laughs> my God, a buffet. <laughs> they, they'd be happy he's getting in the way. The deers can't mate each other if he's there first. Plus, they could probably uh, feature some type of... Uh, Sideshow attraction of a guy who just runs butt naked through the field, constantly chasing deer down. Well, that's great. <laughs> oh man! Um, actually, another another really quick news article, uh, super fast. I don't have a lot of uh, news on it, but uh, you know, every few years, how we go through that whole um, uh, tequila is dying, um, or, or we're getting tequila drought. Uh, it happens every couple of years. They talk about how the agave is getting very uh, low on production, and and um, the uh, the funny thing is, um, it could be 
controlled by uh, obviously um, uh, you know cross breeding the, uh, the 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 strain of agave with each other. Um, the the funny thing is there is an actual article that was just from yesterday, and it was basically saying the future of tequila depends on sex. Um, so you, I kind of jumped into the the article, and I'm just like, well, isn't that normally what gets caused by tequila? <laughs> no, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, my future of sex is caused by tequila. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, it was uh, talking about like, the biodiversity and how um, there's a certain type of blue agave that that is uh, asexual and it reproduces itself, but it takes like nine years to come to full maturity, and and if they cut it early, then they get kind of like a washed out, bitter tasting. Uh, tequila and and someone had suggested well no you could cross pollinate it with an, with another type of agave and and it would bring down that that growth time exponentially but they were all up in arms saying no we can't have them have sex with other ones like it has to be remained pure so oh my god I guess that's why they they wouldn't be blue agave yeah. <laughs> you know who else did that <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to get your tequila, if it's true, start stocking up now before the prices get hiked up. All right, I'm going right now. Yeah, <laughs> George is like, I got uh, guys. I'll I'll call you back. <laughs> All right, uh, so that's the end of our regular news. Of course, we do have uh, what's happening in tech. Um, Matt, how are you feeling? Do you want to do you want to start on the tech or? Yeah, I'll. Uh... <clears throat> I'll jump into uh, my my couple here. Okay. So um, I'm pretty excited. There's a new game launching on October 25th, and it's called Outer Worlds, and um, it's by Obsidian Entertainment. It's the same guys that did uh, Fallout New Vegas. Nice. Which is arguably the best Fallout game in the series. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people like it. It has a huge uh, following. And uh, these guys decided to make their own. And the nice thing about it is that if you have the... uh, the PC beta for Game Pass, you get it for free. Oh, nice. So, and it's coming out for all major platforms. So that's a that's one to watch for for sure. Fantastic. What about you? Um, I actually wanted to bring up the uh, <laughs> the end of Fortnite. Um, so uh, apparently, Fortnite just finished off their their season, and uh, they did some really groundbreaking uh, way of doing it, uh, where they had uh, apparently there was six million players that got left hanging when they finished off the season. So between uh, the Twitch streamers and and all these other game players that were posting on social media and recording at the time, they were playing the game. The way it finished was a massive black hole that sucked the world and the players in and then went to black screen, and then nothing happened. Yeah, it stayed there for 24 hours. And for 24 hours, not only did the game not work, but their servers, their, their, their websites, everything went dark. And and people lost their mind. There's videos out there with uh, people's reactions to the game. Uh, there are kids crying. There are people getting so angry they're swinging chairs and smashing their TVs in, um, thinking that the system is broken or or how could they they shut it off because they were titling the game the end, and and literally it just stopped. So people who had invested years of playing and building their their game up and getting all their loot and their tokens and all this stuff it just it just disappeared like that yeah thanos they got thanos. so people weren't just dancing funny when this happened <laughs> yeah, no, there no. was no dancing there was, there no, was yeah. so much anger and confusion for 24 hours and then but was it on purpose was it like a sopranos <laughs> ending like or is it up on their thing i know it was a total on purpose 
ploy by them. Like it's it's the first time a game company has ever done that and then just shut it down and left people in the dark without doing anything. And then they, within 24 hours, and it was almost 48 hours total. They brought it back they online. They brought it back on with a brand new world and a brand new system and everything just suddenly appeared. Yeah, they basically called it chapter two and it's, they just, they and they added a lot of new cool things to the game. Like before you couldn't swim, there's yeah. no swim animations. They added that in. Like, I know it seems like a little thing, but there's a lot of water in yeah. the game. So How many times they fell off that cliff and <laughs> the water died. It, yeah. It's like, yeah. So there's, <laughs> it's, uh, and they, they brought out this new, new version of the game and it, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. But apparently it was well worth the wait. It came out with a lot of new stuff. People are really excited to be to be back on. And I'd love to love to be the person who's got the footage of your, your friend, partner, and or child freaking out, losing their mind. I'd be bringing it back up in another 20 years. Well, man, like, so Adam, my oldest, plays it, right? Yeah. And, like, he's 12. He's at that age where he's starting to become invested in certain games, that one in particular. But. Man, that that kid's probably got like four or five hundred bucks into that game. Easy, <laughs> just easy. Go off. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like he just, must have lost his mind. Uh, yeah, well, he's like, well, he, yeah. He, he, I think he knew. He he's pretty good at reading outside the box that they wouldn't yeah. just stop the game, especially when it makes so much money. Yeah, like Epic Games funds their other games with this game. Yeah, yeah. so. Pretty amazing for a game that's free to play, right? Oh man, it's crazy. It's like they they, they are the best at the microtransaction model. Yeah. So play the game for free, but buy, you know, the perks and the skins and the weapons. You can't be, be you can't buy yourself to be better than anybody else. Yeah. But you can buy all the cool things that that give you kind of a cool status. And and they've they've really t- captured that market. Fuck no, it's free to play. You get nothing from me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, you are that guy. Actually, you're super frugal. <laughs> Yeah. Fantastic. Everybody else just what? cheap. They won't pay me to play it? <laughs> Tony's out. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, oh, you had one more thing here. You've got uh, Zombieland 2. Oh, yeah. So um, I haven't seen it yet, um, but uh, I've been hearing really good things about Zombieland 2. So yeah. if uh, are you, are you going to go see it? I've seen the commercials. I'm a huge fan of Zombieland 1. I'm definitely going to go see number two. George, you going? I think I'll go. I I was I've only seen the, the the commercial myself. I was a bit confused if like everyone's supposed to have like a doppelganger. I didn't know what was going on. Cause you got the guy from Silicon Valley, and then the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg, and they're supposed to be the same guy. And I'm like, I always thought they were the same guy. Yeah, <laughs> no, they, I got confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually was confused by that part too. I, I didn't quite understand that, but uh, but apparently, it, it regardless of that, it's 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 holding its own fairly well so far. I I think it's. It's the the whole purpose is just to try to get people to be like, oh fuck, I gotta figure out what that is now. I gotta watch it, right? But it but it looks like they need another group of survivors out there, yeah. And, and how from another end, and they've just happened to be exactly like them, kind of thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So that should be interesting. That'd be a good watch. I get thrown off just in general with Woody Harrelson. Whenever I watch like an old episode of Cheers, I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't seem like the same human being is that guy. 30 years ago or whatever to today. Completely different like different guys. He's, he's like this. Anytime I see Woody Harrelson, like my mind is blown in some manner. <laughs> yeah. He's like the, the Sophia Loren of the Golden Girls, right? <laughs> yeah, this guy's timeless. Yeah, like he, he's so meek and, and wussy in that show and then he turns around being like a crap talking badass. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, I don't know. He, he's such a weird dude, I think, in real life. Uh, yeah. 
that, that I, I just like, I, I'm sure that anybody who brings him into a project is just like, eh, let's see where this goes. <laughs> Um, all right. So, uh, George, uh, this is, uh, the section we turn it over to, uh, it's now the George show. And, uh, we like to, uh, talk to you and ask you a few questions and, uh, get to know you a little bit better. All right. I, I thought the stories you guys told were actually pretty interesting. I'm just going to be a huge letdown. So feel free to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you've got, uh, uh, you know, we, we of course want to do a little bit of digging and, and some history checks and, and, uh, you've got quite a good, uh, past, uh, stuff, stuff that I did not even know that you were involved in, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but, uh, the first question that we have, and, uh, I think it'd be, Quite interesting uh, for lots of people to learn, uh, especially in the, the Canadian market. That is that you were a, a, a Queen's University graduate. Yes. Yes. What area of study led you to this career? Um. Yeah. Well, Queens, it's like it was. It was just art. I, I always knew I'd be going in this. I was technically a film major. I did drama as well, but uh, I always kind of knew I'd go this way. To be one hundred percent honest, at Queens. I was more, um, probably even more than what I learned there. I was like the host of Studio Q. I had my own TV show there, like the cable access show they had. Um, I don't even know if they still have it. Ah, uh, good old cable um, access. Because I don't even know if kids today actually know what cable access is. It's before the <laughs> internet. It was on the local is that like a Is that like a Netflix so, thing? or? <laughs> It's more like a Wayne's World thing. I'm an old, old person. That's that's where this the moral is. So, um, yeah, that was kind of my main thing. But like, I don't know. I always was heading this way. It's just even if it wasn't, there's not insult writing as a uh, as a major there. Not yet, actually. Okay. Yeah, that that's fantastic. I actually uh, I didn't even know that. uh, I'll be 100 percent honest. I didn't even know uh, the Queens actually had a uh, like a an an arts uh, slash. Um, you know, drama slash television production program. So well, it's like it's technically film. Like the irony is, the crew coming out of Queens has been fair, pretty successful. Um, more successful than you think, actually. Um, like Splash and Boots. <laughs> the program was always kind of a bit seen a bit lesser than uh, than some of the other ones. It's probably not as technical as learning how to run a bunch of the cameras and machinery and all that okay. but creatively just like kind of the general kind of arts education it led to a lot of really good guys coming out of this like just in kind of my era one of the guys i know is a writer on this is us right now um one was a writer on the office um there's there's kind of been some some big some big players coming out of queens more than uh more than people think like and in the drama like I was I was working on the TV show Mr. D last year. Two of our actors were from Queens. Like two of the leads on that show are straight out of Queens. So it's very, uh, it's kind of like our our that it's picking up more and more than people think. I think. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. We um, I, I know that uh, you know obviously Queens is very um, uh, very famous for the amount of medical and engineering students that come out of there. Uh, I know that uh, someone's from their their science. Uh, and who who works in their, um, I can't remember the name of... Uh, Elon of Musk went to Queens. Well, we know Elon Musk was in there, <laughs> yeah, but there was another guy who uh, who works in, uh, I think it's like one of the, he works in Dark Matter, and uh, part of, uh, there's a, a section of Queens that is kind of like an underground area. It's not in Queens, it's off Queens. I think it might be in like the Netherlands or something like that. Um, but uh, he does the consultation with, 
Big Bang Theory. So the science they talk on that is actual real matter. Oh. Like it's real subject matter. So he's, he's the continuity person wow. for Big Bang Theory. From Queen's students. Yes, yeah, Queen's students. See? We're Amazing. everywhere. Right? Amazing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Amazing. Yep. No, right. But you know what? It's kind of like, I don't know. They, you, can, you can call it Queen's, Queen's Calls itself, at least. Depends on if your listeners like Queen's or don't like Queen's, how they respond to this. But people call it like the Harvard of the North or whatever. Yep. Harvard, as well, puts out a lot of people, actually in, in my field in the arts, mm-hmm. comedy writing, all this stuff. It is... It, it for some reason like the really high education always leads people to often leads people to to comedy writing to, to to a point there was a point on the simpsons where like i think all the writers were from harvard at one point so it was like or or a large majority of them at least it's kind of became the ongoing gag and uh, a lot of comedy writers don't like the harvard type of person but it's uh queens i think is kind of putting it out so in the arts um yeah we're, we're kind of we're kind of spreading out a lot more than you think yeah that's that's amazing the uh it's it must take a, a special breeder or an education to develop the certain amount of humor and the dark humor and and uh, there's clearly a, a a formula out there that uh, probably gets that gets taught. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next. So, um, my question, and I have to sneak this in there, is uh, before we get too far. Um, so how easy was it to write roast jokes for Donald Trump? <laughs> um, so I, it was weird. My, my, I wasn't actually technically on the Trump roast. That's one of the ones that I wasn't on. I would, I did the pre-show. So, um, there was kind of like an internet only like show in advance. And I wrote that. Okay. Um, so my jokes weren't on the Trump roast, but, um, like I knew a lot of the guys who wrote for it and, um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was very it was very they always found it very weird because it was he, he was very just very determined to not make fun of his his finance. So mm-hmm. it'd be like a joke like oh this is what happens when you only have like a billion dollars or something and he'd be like no it's seven billion dollars like he'd correct that he wouldn't <laughs> care anything about what you said prior to that it's just like he had to correct the finance of the joke and that was kind of. This is all I'm hearing secondhand. I wasn't yeah. there myself, yeah. <laughs> um, but that's always he. He was always very determined to uh, to make his money, and his money uh, properly up front was kind of the his big focus. I think even uh, Seth MacFarlane took a stab at him on Family Guy, where he and uh, and Peter had a big fight scene. Uh, it was kind of like the chicken fight scene, but it was with Trump, and uh, he he was trying to get Trump going, and then uh, he couldn't do it. Then finally, he's like, well. You're just money poor. <laughs> that <laughs> sent them over the edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, he's, he's made his whole he's made his whole brand about his money to that point at least before it's made his brand about being the president. But yeah, it was all about the money. So he was that was his hundred percent main concern. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I mean, for comedy roasts, uh, I mean, you have written a lot. And, yes. uh, and comedy roasts can be so edgy and, and are often that are jokes or that are kind of like between friends or between professionals. But how do you create a joke that's so true to the target character without insulting them? Or, or is it is insulting them kind of like it, it does so that it doesn't blow back at the person that you're writing for? Yeah, well, well this is the thing. So if anyone doesn't know, I, I'm a writer on the Comedy Central roast 
lot of people don't realize they even have writers. They think, doesn't everyone write their own stuff? I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I write for most people. Um, most people, even the comedians who do contribute a lot of their own stuff, normally have writers to help them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but here's the thing with, with roast jokes. It is, there's only a few of us who do it. And the reason the same kind of crew keeps coming back is because it's actually, it's a very unique skill that so many people don't have. And I don't mean that to say like, there's not other great writers out there, but this is a very like, it's a very fine line to walk. And I've had very famous writers from Saturday Night Live, Jimmy Kimmel and stuff, send us jokes and they just don't hit the mark because they're like too mean or too this and that. You, you have to realize when you're roasting someone, the goal is to say something so bad to their face, but not bad, but just bad enough so they still laugh. So the audience is like, oh, I can't believe you said that to them, but the person still laughs. Um, yeah. And that is the skill. Like if you said something insulting and the person cried or got upset, you failed as a roast writer. So people <laughs> who know me, they're like, you're the nicest person in the world. How, how are you like literally the only Canadian who does this. I'm the only Canadian who does roast writing. That's amazing. Um, so like, why? But you're like the nicest guy. It's just like, well, th- there is a niceness to this. You have to be very nice, actually, and very kind of caring to know like the line you don't cross. And I've seen comedians cross the line and I've seen people get upset. And if someone's ever upset, like that's always, that's always where it's bad. And even I've accidentally upset some people sometimes. Um, but it's the goal is to not upset them, and the goal is to kind of push them as far as you can, but also not push it too far. But still, the it was the balance between the audience being shocked you said it to their face and the person still laughing because you said it to them. Because if it's you risky. ever don't laugh at a roast joke, it's failed. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's so risky. And, and like, do you ever write something and then stop and look up and be like, "Damn, my 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 career is on the line with this joke." <laughs> um. Yeah, there is a bit of anonymity to to me that it's uh, people don't always know it's where it's coming from. Um, but it definitely, it definitely, definitely, um, I, I, I always care about the person we're making it about and and try not to push it too far. And and I am probably more conservative than probably some other other writers that I pull back on a lot of stuff um, and try to make it. I try to make it clever, not mean. Okay, mm-hmm. that's good. That's that's generally the best way to go, right? Because that's that's the better form of humor. Now, yeah. do you usually have a conversation with the the person that you're writing for before before they start? Um. Yeah. Well, normally, um, yeah, we we do talk to everybody. So you, I always try to get to know everybody and kind of know where they're at. Um, but generally, you might get one or two topics that are off limits. Um, and to be 100% honest, most of the time the topics are off limits is like a legal reason, not a comedy reason. Okay. Somebody would be like, hey, like you might have seen this in the paper. I'm actually in a lawsuit about this. Please don't mention it because it hurt the lawsuit. So we've had to pull a few jokes for that reason. But generally it's fair game. And the other weird thing with the roast is you have to realize when, I, I work with celebrities a lot. Um, they don't normally get surprised by anything. When they go to the MTV Awards, they know they're winning an MTV Award or they're not showing up. It's mm-hmm. kind of everyone knows the Oscars are something different, but generally when a celebrity makes an appearance, everything's cleared out and they know exactly what's going to happen. They, they really don't want to be embarrassed. 
In a roast, they don't know anything. They don't get to see the jokes in advance. They don't get to know anything because you want their honest reaction when you insult them to see their laugh. So, like, I remember I tell Justin Bieber and his manager to leave the room because someone was going to practice jokes, and they looked at me like no one's ever spoken to them that way before. I'm like, sorry, get out. And uh, <laughs> I was actually and just going to ask you if you worked on Bieber's. It's, so, and then they did. They did. It was fine. It's not like they caused a problem. It's, but I give a lot of credit to the celebrities who do this because a lot back out when they realize that's kind of the game because it a, it's a world that celebrities are not used to when they get there. I'm and sure everyone, that... everyone I run into, like, I wrote James Franco's roast six years ago. Like, I run to Seth Rogen still. He, he's still talking about it because it's just such a weird experience to all of them mm-hmm. to be a part of it that they, it, still, it kind of sticks with them more than most other kind of things they do in their career. For sure. I, I'm, I'm sure telling to Bieber to get out probably wasn't the first time he's ever heard that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he started off young enough that I'm sure he got get out a lot. <laughs> no, no. These, these guys are used to. They're used to being treated like kings. So the roast, the roast does treat people worse or treat somebody different than, uh, than the celebrities are used to. But anyone who does it, it's, uh, I have a lot of respect for them because it's like they literally are sitting up there on stage and don't know what the crowd's going to laugh at, at them about. Yeah. Now, you, you do a lot of work uh, or a lot of writing for Jeff Ross and, and his yeah. roasts. Um, do, you, do you end up, uh, like, obviously, you, you, you kind of know where Jeff Ross's comedy is to begin with. So does that kind of minimize the amount of contact you have to have with him that makes it easier to write things? Or do you still have to have a bit of a, a conversation and saying, well, where do you want to go with this, Jeff? And, and how, how deep or, or how uh, dark do you want to go? Uh, it, it's, it's half and half. It's, um, I, I generally try to talk to everyone as much as possible. And Jeff and I, when I work with him, we, we talk constantly. Um, and it, it's, it, there can be jokes from two different ways, right? So um, sometimes I'll just come up with them all off the top of my head and, and pitch them and see what you think. And he's such a good writer himself. He'll often fix it or twist it and make it better. And then sometimes... He'll be like, like he came to Canada this um, this summer for Just for Laughs. He's like, hey, I want some jokes about Trudeau, and I want to roast Trudeau a bit. So he kind of like directed me an angle he wanted to go, and he didn't quite know where to go, and he was asking Canadian for advice. So it, it kind of can go both ways, but generally there's a lot of communication. And for anyone, every celebrity I work for, it's just you, you don't want to put them anywhere they're not comfortable. For sure. Like, I can even have somebody say, yeah, this joke is really funny. I know it's funny. I know it's going to get laugh, but I'm not comfortable saying that. And then we'll just, we'll yank it. It's no, it's no big deal. And we write a ton of jokes. Like, the amount of jokes we write to what gets on air is probably under 5%. So we oh, write wow. That's amazing. hundreds of jokes. <clears throat> That's crazy. So then, Like, one yes. of those roasts, we, there's probably four roasts worth of jokes. That could be two hours. You, you do an eight-hour roast with the amount of jokes they have, and it's... Uh, by the end of one of those. So people are churning out a lot before you get to the, the final product. And yeah. how many writers would they have typically, um, you know, or what's, what's the most you've seen, I guess, working on one roast? It all varies. Um, it, it also kind of varies with how things go. So um, like even this, in, in some roasts we, we write for everyone and some roasts people bring in their own people. And so, there's probably about 10 of us probably at one time, a lot kind of come in and out over like a three week period when you're leading up to a roast. But sometimes you're very specific. Like this past roast for Alec Baldwin, 
I didn't even work in the writer's room uh, with everyone else. I was hired privately by Blake Griffin, the, the basketball player, the NBA player, to write his to write with him personally. Mm-hmm. And so a few guys had that, and so it, that kind of juggles with the numbers a bit. Then we we asked the room for some help sometimes, and but like I was kind of mainly focused on on one set. And when you're in the room, you're kind of focused on on multiple sets at once. That's cool. Um, what? Uh, so you used to be a, a contributing writer for the Arsenial Hall Show. Now I, I'm not sure if, if if a lot of our listeners remember Arsenial Hall. I know he was uh, quite the thing uh, at one point. Uh, you just don't hear from, about him much in the news anymore. I don't know if he's retired or if he keeps his life rather private. But um, I'm curious, how did that come about? Uh, well, that was uh, that was a very small small thing. It was um, he his head writer basically just said, uh, if you if you have jokes, like email them to me. And so I sometimes get up. It was a very informal show, and I sent him a joke when I felt like it. Okay. And if I didn't feel like it the next day, I didn't. And um, <laughs> so that was very very small. But it was just because the head writer was someone I'd worked with in the past. That's going to be a good point in your you know, life. Yeah, he did two seasons. This was the new version. Or no, he only did one season yeah. uh, of his new show. And then, um, but he's he's coming back. He has a special coming out. Okay. Live show. I saw his name in the news quite recently. But, um, but yeah, he's he's still going. He can't keep Arsenio down. But he, he, took, he, he took a bit of time off and came back. And I think he's, he's, he's mounting a comeback right now. Yeah. It's a good point of life to be at, where where you could just like, I'm gonna write you a joke. Ah, I just don't feel like it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's transition a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Evil Dead. So, um, I have to ask, what what gave you the idea, um, to write a musical out of the cult classic? So this is again speaks to how how old I am, and uh, because some of the stuff I say like the fact I started my career in cable access television. Um, <laughs> me going to theater is another one of those things because if YouTube existed, I probably wouldn't have that career at all because I was just a struggling writer and kind of not being able to find work or find my way or get like that first thing out there. And um, so I decided I, it was too expensive to make a TV show. It was too expensive to make a movie. And so I decided to put on a, a play, and, and uh, a, a bunch of friends of mine, actually all from Queens, this whole group from Queens, um, we just did it with, like, really no more um, thought than we're going to run this for two weeks in Toronto in the back of a bar and maybe get our name in, like, the local, like, paper or something. Like, I was just really trying to just do anything at that point. And it somehow um, became this, and at the time, Hairspray was out, and there's a few movies, kind of musicals. It was kind of starting at that. But simultaneously, I don't think it wasn't as popular. People don't realize. So, like, I called the movie studio and asked for the rights, and, and, and I worked out a deal to get them, even even at that um, that very early stage. And so That's we put it on a in a bar and, yeah. like, became super popular, like, immediately, like, we didn't have tickets in advance on sale because it's like even even making an online ticketing thing was was not really existing back then, 2002, 2003 or whatever. And um, so we, people just show up and they'd be lined around the block hoping to get in. 
like on day one. So we're like, oh, we've got something here. And then a year later, it was at the Just for Laughs Festival. And two years later, it was in New York off-Broadway, one of the biggest uh, off-Broadway openings ever. And so it just skyrocketed really quick. But the main thing out of it all was I just wanted to kind of showcase my writing and thought this would be a cool way to do it uh, and get something out there. And then somehow this play we put on for basically free became uh, gigantic. And it's still playing to this day. Uh, I, I have to say, later, it's in it's in forty six cities this month alone. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. That's amazing. I I, um, I kind of look back because I was actually there one of your opening nights uh, when that first came out, and uh, I did get to see it, and it was probably by far one of the best musicals that I'd ever seen. I, I was a big fan of um, of the Evil Dead, and uh, clearly loved watching that and Army of Darkness, the follow up uh, movie. But um, I, I really, uh, I, I thought that not only did you capture it so well um, for a stage production, that some of the things that you did, like like um, you know shooting people through the wall and uh, the creating the the blood zone or the the splash zone for for guests, yeah. uh, was almost uh, what I felt was kind of like ahead of its time for things. And it was such a great show, especially for people who loved that cult classic. I, I had no doubt that. It would it would go well for you, but little did I realize that it would end up becoming so popular that um... yeah, it's it's been trust me, I nobody's more shocked about this than me. Even the splatter zone that you mentioned, like the first few rows, we we shoot blood on the audience, and, and originally so it was good. kind of a mistake. Like originally, translatively, we shot some blood on the audience, back, and we're like, oh, we shouldn't do that. And then it's like, oh, maybe I don't know, why don't we try it? And then all of a sudden, it became the most popular seats, and then. I was just like, okay, well, let's make these the cheapest seats. Just get some crazy people up front who want to get blood on them. And then I just like producers like, no, make those the most expensive seats. And <laughs> you want to get they, messy, you got to pay. <laughs> and they sold out. And I'm like, who? Like, as much, I I love my fans. I appreciate them so much. People come to this show 30, 40 times. I I'm, I love them. I don't understand sitting through two hours of musical theater and they go, you know, I mean, at the end of this. I need to be doused in <laughs> syrup. <laughs> all over I my clothes, in blood. all over my hair. I just want to be a mess when I leave the theater. <laughs> so people frown upon us, our audience, and stuff sometimes because our audience is nuts. Like it, it is a crazier musical theater audience than you'd ever experience. It's more like a rock audience. But it is, those people, even for me, I'm like, who are you? People who want to be covered in this stuff, but people love it. Like, go to Instagram right now, like, putting a hashtag evil to the musical. Like, it's just people covered in blood and smiling and having a great time. They're like, my only problem with the blood people is whenever they figure out who I am, they always want to hug me. I'm like, please don't hug me. I've gone through immense efforts to not come near you people. Uh, um, but the one thing I'd also say to, to even go back earlier if you saw an early, early version, I do have to credit that I had a lot of luck. That when I put on this show for free in Toronto using my friends and then just some random stragglers who I met along the way, they all turned out to be the best at their job to a level I couldn't even fathom. So I could, I could have written the most brilliant script, and if I had a crew who couldn't deliver it, you would have never heard of this show again. But all the actors were just my friends from Queens, except the lead. The lead was just some guy. I, I put a, We put up one posting at U of T 
said, do you want to act? Come to this thing. And this one, one person showed up reading that posting, literally a physical piece of paper on the wall. <laughs> and uh, he became our lead. He not only became our lead, but he went with us all the way to New York and was the lead for 10 years and was like the wow. greatest actor ever. And there's some random... I bet random you these, wow. these other U of T students are like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, so it's, this guy, Ryan Ward, he was so good. Um, our sound and light guy have been with us for 15 years for the major, major tours. And they were just, once again, guys working for zero money when I met them. And now they're kind of both the top of the business. Um... We had one of our actors, this, this guy, Matt Olmstead, who was from Queens. He was an engineer, uh, and he was an actor, and he was a great actor. But him and this other guy, Peter Higgins, they were, they were also, like, great engineers, and they made all our blood systems and did all this stuff. And so for free back then, they made this system so complicated that when we went to New York and all of a sudden we're hiring big-budget stage designers, we had the Tony Award-winning set designer, like the current – the guy who had the current Tony for set design do it our stuff and a bunch of his like high tech crew. And they just came to me one day like, Hey, we can't figure out these, this blood system. Oh, and wow. I had to fly in <laughs> my guys from Toronto. Amazing. That's so to, like, cool. Do it for them. The, the Queens engineer guys. Cause it was like the, the stuff I did was so complex. So, um, and we've had the same Chris Bond, who's the director has been my partner and the, the, Frank and Melissa did the music. We, we've all kind of been always the core who stuck through this and did all the tours and stuff together. But it's, I, I, I lucked out to a level that it, was, it, it would be impossible to replicate in those first early runs. And that's kind of, it's weird. It's like, as a writer, you're only, you're only as good as the execution of it. And the guys that execute it so well. And I'm really lucky that happened, so... It's it's amazing, and and actually that to that note, it kind of led me into the my my next question, uh, and and the Evil Dead the musical is the the longest running play Toronto has ever seen in over twenty years. So, like how does yeah. that, how does that feel? Like this is something that for a struggling writer you've created, and now you've got the longest running production. That's um, it's it's weird. I, I'm sure Come From Away might have beaten us since we said that, but it's uh, we're definitely up there. Um, there hasn't been that many long running Canadian shows. There's us, there's Jazzy Chaperone, Come From Away, and uh, you, you can even count us how you think because we're in a smaller venue always. We're at a bit of a lower stage, but mm-hmm. it has run in Toronto alone over 500 times. Wow. Um, it's crazy. It's the the weird thing with the way I the way it was written. And this is very weird. People want to go again and again. Um, and it's kind of a style of writing that I like. It's, it's kind of, there's things you don't get the first time, and you see it the second time, you kind of laugh at something you didn't laugh at the first time. Mm-hmm. To the point people keep coming again and again and again. It is not uncommon for me to see someone who's went 20 times. It's not uncommon for me to see someone who went 30 times. In fact, if you go to the crowd and say, who's been here before, over half will say they have. And so that's kind of the weird thing. So the longevity is a lot of that. Like even there's a lot of plays you go to, like, oh, that's good. I don't have to line up and see it again. Whereas ours, we, we used to say, oh, if you guys want to come back, there's, you can get a discount ticket if you buy it right now. And literally the whole theater would get up and get back in line, which wow. is nuts. And it just kind of speaks to how it is. It's, it's just a unique style and it's a fun night out. And yeah, people just keep wanting to come in again and go, 
the moral is, I, I think this is the same uh, couple hundred people who just have come over and over <laughs> to make 500 times in a row. So. Thanks, everybody, yeah. for putting my kids through college. <laughs> that, that's amazing that, um, you know, not only have you put on that time that, that you have so many reoccurring people, but I feel like a lot of the time it's because you know, you have a lot of humor in it. And like every good movie that has humor, people end up watching it two and three times because, you know, they think, oh, I missed that the first time. Or so they talk to someone else and said, oh, do you remember this part? They're like, I don't remember this part because I was looking over here on stage or I was looking at this or there was blood throwing in my eyes at the time. So I, I think, or you'd get people who who um, come in at one point in the show and they might be on a balcony or they might be on the back of, back of the theater and they're like, oh no, I've got to be in the blood seats next time. No, yeah, that definitely happens. It also, so, to be honest, anyone who's seen it, it, it takes you a while to understand what's happening and to understand that it's all a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people don't always completely appreciate because it it's called Evil Dead, but it's like a true comedy. And like the opening number is the cheesiest, stupidest song in the world. It's called Cabin in the Woods. You can find it on Spotify. It literally, the chorus is... Cabin in the woods, ooh, cabin in the woods, yeah, cabin in the woods, ooh, yeah. They're in a cardboard <laughs> It is the stupidest song ever. And the reason I wrote it, I wanted the most hardcore Evil Dead horror goth person to sit in the crowd furious that this is happening to their favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then slowly win them back as the night goes on. <laughs> but for some reason that doesn't happen. But then... It kind of happens where people are confused, and then by the second number, you can tell they realize it's a joke, and the third, they're really into it. Yeah. And then, then blood fires everywhere. They're like, "Oh, thank God, the I stayed." Time, you're kind of laughing the whole first time. The irony is, um, the show is also like strangely like really big in Korea. And uh, when I went to Korea, there was no anger during that Cabin in the Woods song. The crowd was clapping and dancing. That was their favorite thing. I was about. I'm like, well. That's Korea. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Well, that... Anyway, so that's the thing. I, I think you have to see it a bunch of times to understand the comedy. It, it is a comedy, and not everyone quite always gets that right off the bat. It takes them a while to realize what's going on. Well, it's it's, it's funny you mentioned Korea because actually that was my next question. Is um, I, I had read that you guys got like the Korean equivalent of the Tony Award or something like that. Is that is that true? Um, yeah, it's, uh, the, they call it the musical award, but yeah, so the play's played in Korea. It's played in Korea about four times, I think, and, uh, it's always put on, there's always, like, K-pop stars in the lead, uh, and yeah, it's, it's really, um, it's really big out there somehow, and yeah, we, we got to perform, uh, they, they won the, the equivalent of the Tony Award, and they got to perform at the Tony Award equivalent, and it was, uh, it was really cool, so... Yeah, for some reason, Korea has really has really taken to this. North or south? It's a bit, a bit of both. We're kind yeah. of big everywhere. That's cool. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> um, it, it, I, does that mean that you guys were you were up against BTS? <laughs> that, um, <laughs> who? No. But, but, <laughs> who? Yeah. But my um, one of the guys in BTS. He, he got his career started by being like a backup kind of singer to to my lead. Oh really? Oh wow! That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's kind of his his thing. That's fantastic. Small world. Wow. Well, I guess it's small world in Korea. I would say the, when the you're pop. in Korea. <laughs> 
Amazing. Um, so at this point, George, like, do you have your eyes set on creating any more musicals, or are you currently writing anything right now? Um, well, here's the thing. I've kind of been doing more TV stuff. Um, the weird thing is, as quick as Evil Dead like took off in a lot of people's eyes, it still was four years before I saw a real paycheck about it. Um, so it's a long, long process. I want to get back to do more musical stuff, but for the last years or whatever, I've been just kind of uh, getting TV gigs kind of back-to-back-to-back, and it's kind of taken most of my time. So, um, yeah, I've got a few TV projects kind of in the works, but none of which I can talk about right now. Fair enough. I'm debating thinking about doing more theatrical stuff, but once again, even to get into that, it would be – it's a long, long process, and so um, – yeah, you kind of got to find the right project, something you love before you commit all those years of your time to it. Something to put on the back burner, and, and when, you, when you're ready to retire from TV, you can kind of sit back and be like, oh, okay, now's my time. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like, it's, 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 it's all a different level of gratification. Like, because when I write a roast, I'll write a joke one week, they'll perf- someone perform it the next week, and it will probably air on TV the next week. And there's people who write, like, late-night TV and stuff, because I, I even wrote for a year on George Shambolopoulos. Like, you write something that's on TV that night. Mm-hmm. And then I was writing sitcoms this year or the other years and, and writing for Mr. D, write something that's on six months later. So it's always a delayed gratification. And it's kind of, as for me, I kind of love seeing the instant gratification, knowing, okay, that joke killed. Oh, now people are talking about it online. And it's kind of fun that way. So... I've enjoyed my TV time, but whatever. I, I will. I'm. I'm kind of figuring out my next steps. If there's something I want to do, a bit more, a uh, bit more long term. Oh, sounds like you're you're at least keeping busy in the meantime. So it's. Uh, oh yeah, it's yeah. Nice That keeps things things keep flowing before you're ready to take on the next project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all kind of different stuff. I, I've been lucky that I've been got to do a, a lot of different things. Like I get to write jokes, I get to write musicals, I get to write this and that. So it's it's been fun. So. Now, with the Evil Dead, did you ever get to meet uh, Sam Raimi or Bruce Campbell? Um, ironically, I've never met Sam Raimi. Um, Bruce Campbell has come to the show quite a few times. Um, That's awesome. And sometimes he'll even do, like, speeches and stuff after. And, uh, yeah, he has a good time with it. He's been a big supporter. Um, yeah, and I I, I did uh, some stuff with the, the cast of Ash vs. Evil Dead, some of the cast members of that. This year we all did a kind of fan autograph signing kind of thing in San Jose with the show there. Oh, that's cool. Sweet. That's um, amazing. Yeah, and the producers have come. Like, a, a lot of people involved with the, the movie have, have been there and are, are will, will pop their head in. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's been good. But, yeah, Bruce Bruce was definitely at the opening night. He was at the opening night in New York, and he did uh, a few nights in Toronto where he did, like, a Q&A. That's pretty cool. Sweet. And it's, it's such amazing for... Uh, you know, when you look back at that original Evil Dead, because it was like that B-rate college-type movie when they created that, and then for you to turn that into a musical, then that's it's just kind of like a a nice homage that then ended up being just as much of a cult classic as their own movie did. Well, yeah, I would never say our thing. Like it, it is weird. the The musical is growing to this day, fifteen years later, which is very cult cult movie like. Because that is kind of the same trajectory of the movie where it wasn't that big when it first came out and then it just kind of kept gaining steam over time. And in a lot of ways, the musical is kind of like that. We can never reach the iconic status of the movie. When you hear the name, people think of the movie first, but we like to think we're a nice addition to that world. 
Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been crazy how it's kind of like picked up steam because most most theatrical productions kind of don't do that. They kind of have their mm-hmm. start out hot and then whatever fizzle down. But it's this is kind of kind of been the opposite. It's been very very strange. Constantly building, yeah. So the last question I have for you is: uh, Do you have any celebrities on speed dial? On speed dial, yeah. yes. Would I, you ask them to come on our show? <laughs> I do. I was telling you earlier, I'm not very technical. I don't have that many celebrities on my phone. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I have enough. And when Siri first came out, like the iPhone Siri, yeah. I was just like, oh, I got to see how this works. I'm like, Siri, try calling, like, Dale. It's like, okay, I'm calling Jimmy Fallon. I'm like, no. no, no, no. (laughs) He would, for some reason, always pick out the most famous name I have in my phone and then prank call that person. I'm like, oh, come on. That's awesome. I don't have that many celebrities, but they've all been bothered by Siri in some manner. So. <laughs> That's oh, Jesus. George is ass dialing me again. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That'd be fantastic. Um, all right. So we're getting into uh, kind of the last uh, section of our show. Um, Matt's uh, pointing his finger at me that I'm going to have to do the rapid fire questions today because his voice is just tanking out on him. Uh, so this will be, you'll have to bear with me, this is the first time I've ever had to do the rapid fire question. Rapid fire question. Okay, so with rapid fire questions, we are going to ask you 20 questions, and we just want you to come with the, come back with the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right, so, uh, your favorite movie of all time? Billy Madison. PS4, Xbox, or Switch? Sorry, can you repeat that? PS4, Xbox, or Switch? Game Boy. <laughs> uh, favorite food? Pizza. Okay, what's your favorite book? Norm MacDonald's book, based on a true story. Right on. Uh, favorite Marvel, Marvel character? Um, Stan Lee, because he got to be in all those movies. See, I liked his cameos. That is, that is an awesome answer. Uh, your favorite 90s dance song? My favorite what song, sorry? 90s dance song. Oh, 90s dance song. Any, anything by Aqua. They are the greatest band of all. <laughs> and really, I actually like more obscure Aqua. Not their Barbie Girl, not their main stuff. So probably like Freaky Friday by Aqua, okay, which is a yeah. deep cut on their, on, their, uh, on their album, but you have to look it up, but it is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, favorite DC character? Disney character? Um, No, DC character. The rival to Marvel. Oh, DC. I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, uh, I don't know. Is there any good DC characters? No. (laughs) Batman's crying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The age you lost your virginity. Listen, this is this is all you can read about this in the DC comics. <laughs> and these are nobody wants to hear about this stuff. Uh, now, whatever. When when was last week? <laughs> PC or Mac? Oh, Mac. Uh, iPhone or Android? iPhone. Uh, Putin or fish and chips? Um, I'll go. 
I'll go fish and chips. Fish and chips. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, Rosie O'Donnell, Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres. You have to sex one, kill one, marry one. Go. Um, well, that's a that's a tough one. I don't think I don't think any of them would approve of me doing any of those things to them. Uh, <laughs> I think Oprah is the only straight one of that bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know. I, I would give all the. It's. I, I give it all to Rosie. Rosie. Rosie was a big supporter of Evil Dead. She actually brought Evil Dead on the View to perform live. So I'd marry and did everything. Rosie. She's my favorite of that. You want to marry sex and kill Rosie? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. I got to do it. Best I answer ever. It. <laughs> uh, Eminem or Drake? Way. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're done. That's right. Eminem or Drake? Oh, uh, Drake. I got to be loyal. <laughs> What's your spirit animal? I probably prefer Eminem, to be honest, but yeah. Drake's, my, Drake's a Toronto guy. I got to support him. <laughs> Same as Wolf. <laughs> What's your uh, spirit animal? Uh, probably a dog. Okay. What's your weirdest secret talent? My weirdest secret talent? I'm the kind of not, I don't have many talents, and I'm not that secret about them because I kind of try to make a rid of all of them. Um, <laughs> I'm a better rapper than people think. Okay. Um, have, you, have you ever thought, hmm, I could kill someone to make a musical out of it and use the musical to cover it up? No. <laughs> Good, good answer. Yeah. Have you ever gotten so drunk that you thought you were some type of crazy alcohol-related superhero and wore a bucket on your head? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you ever been hanging out with your friends? Uh, you, you know that's a true thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to see if you were going to admit to it. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you were going to admit to it. If not, I was going to call you out. <laughs> Yeah, I can tell you a longer story about I because I used to wear a bucket in my head back in Kingston all the time. Um, <laughs> oh, we know it, it, it wasn't just <laughs> alcohol related. <laughs> there was a band. Um, well, so I I once went. We were doing a like the, I was in the the marching band, and we would do these pep rallies. And then, but like in the marching band at Queens, like you, you were always like really drunk when you performed. Yeah. So and I'm sorry, I'm completely ruining your rapid fire questions, but I'll answer this. <laughs> That's okay. This is a question that has needs some answers. <laughs> um, so we all went to AJ's to like drink before this Friday pep rally because for some reason we had to get drunk. And then they're like, the the. I was so young and new to drinking because I was probably 18 or probably not even 19 yet with my McLovin ID. And she's like, oh, yeah, we have a bucket of beer. I'm like, well, that sounds good. But I didn't know what bucket of beer meant. You get a couple of beers in ice in a bucket. I just thought, oh, we got to drink out of this bucket. So she brought this bucket of beer, and then I poured everything in and started drinking out of it. <laughs> Look at me like I'm crazy. Whereas I'm like, I thought this was what you were intending when you sold me this. I'm also there in like four in the afternoon on a Friday, so I'm alone. <laughs> All the guys at the next table were like these kind of like weird punk guys. They're like looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm drinking this bucket of beer. And they're like, man, this is messed up. And it's like, this is a so 90s reference. But there's there was this band in the 90s called Finger Eleven. But when oh, they, I love Finger Rainbow Butt Monkeys. <laughs> when they started, they were the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. So the yeah. guys at the next table were, in fact, the Rainbow Butt Monkeys. Uh, <laughs> and then, so, awesome. I, and so I finished the beer, and then they're like, you got to wear it on your head. And so I did. 
and then I, I came to their show last night, and they started singing all these songs about me and how I had the bucket on my head, and then I became my thing, and I wore it. I wore it. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best story. That's <laughs> fantastic. Um, have you ever been hanging out with your friends and you're rocking some new pants, and then when you ask your friends if they like your new pants, they say, dude, those are ladies' pants, and then you realize that your pants are indeed ladies' pants? No, I could never fit in a ladies' pants. <laughs> uh, boxers or briefs? Boxers. Uh, your favorite podcast that you've been on in the last 12 hours? Oh, it's uh, it's, it's this one. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, it's so, a close call, but it's, I think, this one. <laughs> well, as long as we think it, 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 it was us and nothing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we do have uh, one question that came uh, from uh, Andre the Wolf Krishnow. He left one for you, and it was, if you could have dinner with any iconic person from history who's passed away, who would it be? Yeah, and like, and to be honest, I'm offended by this question. The guy knows, like, I do all my zombie plays and all this. So he's like, "Oh, do you want to eat with a zombie?" I'm like, "No, I don't want to eat with a zombie." I told you, only people talk to me. Talk to me. I don't want to eat with a zombie. So I refuse to answer this on the principle that I'm sick of being stereotyped that I'm the type of guy who just hangs around zombies all the time. <laughs> he's breaking the mold. <laughs> That's good. We'll accept it. <laughs> Right on. Well, you, can, you can email that guy and ask him come with a better question for the future, but right now I'm, I'm offended by it. I'm offended <laughs> by it. <laughs> That's great. Um, if you would like, uh, you can leave a, uh, a question for our next guest. Uh, you can either leave it to with us now, or if you want a little bit of time to think about it, you can uh, send it in uh, via email or uh, direct messages to us. Oh, you want me to leave a question for him now? Okay. Oh, no, True. no. It'd be for uh, our, our next guest. All right, for your next guest, the, the question is true or false? Just leave it there. Leave them hanging. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Done. Done. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, George, thank you very, very much for your time. Uh, do, before you go, would you like to uh, pitch anything that you're passionate about uh, or your social media accounts so people can get in touch with you? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, very mediocre at tweeting, but you can find me at George Reinblatt on Twitter. Um, website uh evil dead the musical.com you can learn about evil dead uh if you want to from hearing about this and um yeah if uh if i don't know where you're watching but the, the comedy central roasts are pretty easy to find if you ever want to check out any of my stuff or roast battle or anything with the word roast in the titles generally you'll you might see my name in the credits um it's on crave here in canada it's on comedy central in the states um but it's everywhere and then um yeah, yeah, I'm kind of easy. I'm easy to find. If you if you can ever learn how to spell Reinblatt, I'm easy to find. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can be LATP, but yeah, my Twitter is probably the best way to get me. But I, once again, you're you're bound to be disappointed by my tweets. <laughs> well, we'll see if uh, if we can get some more people over there. And uh, now you have to spice things up, so we'll put that pressure on you. Awesome! Thank you guys so much. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing the answer to that question next week. <laughs> Fantastic! Uh, so this is our time where we're going to pitch out our social media. You can find us on uh, the Twitter, the Fat Four, on uh, Instagram, is the Fat Podcast on uh, Facebook, the Freaking Awesome Podcast. We do have a website, thefap.ca, and you definitely want to go there and uh, you'll check out uh, George's bio, and we can uh, link to his Twitter there. And uh, what do I miss? We missed uh, email. 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 What, what the, emails? The fat podcast at gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, George. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your evening uh, to uh, spend it with us. And uh, yeah, if you uh, happen to have any of those uh, uh, famous celebrities who you think would enjoy our show, uh, definitely uh, pass them on our way. <laughs>
Oh, I accidentally called five of them while we were talking anyway. So. <laughs> That's fantastic. When when they call you back, say, uh, you, 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 it was these guys at the, the Freaking Awesome Podcast, and they'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> nice. Oh, for sure. Right on, George. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, awesome. I'll tell you guys soon. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. It's been Bye-bye. So thanks for tuning in to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. We hate to see you go. But we'd love to see you come. I'm on the air. We on the air. We got this pocket. Ah, uh, oh, not again. Wicked sweet. <laughs>